What do you do on Sundays? We talk about Kate Blanchett, the acting, the costumes, the awards, but mostly the Blanchett of it all. Oh, oh I'm not acting. <laughs> you think this is a love affair? I saw you, Erica. Meeting in the middle. This is Sundays with Kate, and I'm your host, Mortada El Fadl. Welcome to Sundays with Kate, the podcast series about the films of Kate Blanchett. Every week, we choose a Kate Blanchett film and discuss it with a guest. For the past few weeks, we've concentrated on her later career, um, the few films that she made in the last five, six years, from Carol to a house with a clock in its walls, to her current films that are now in release, Nightmare Alley and Don't Look Up. But... Today, in this final season of the podcast, we're going to go once more back to her early career, the years post the big breakout with Elizabeth, where the movies kind of did not connect with audiences or critics, even if she was always committed and sort of a fascinating presence on screen. So we're going back to 2003 and Joel Schumacher's Veronica Guerin. And for this conversation, I'm very happy and excited to welcome to Sundays with Kate, designer and illustrator, Dash Silva. Hello. Uh, it's nice to have you on. How are you? Thanks. I'm, ex- uh, I'm excited to be here. This is going to be fun. I'm Irish. The film's supposed to be Irish. It's complicated, but enjoyable. <laughs> Yes, that's why I wanted to talk to you. I've always wanted to have you on the podcast, um, but I wanted to talk to you specifically about this film because I knew you would give us that Irish unique perspective that, you know, I am so far from Ireland. I'm from Sudan, which is very far from Ireland. I live in America, also far from Ireland. So I don't think I have a lot to add there. Um, (laughs) But first, before we delve into Veronica Guerin and the Irishness of it, I wanted to ask mm-hmm. you about Kate Blanchett. What do you think of when you think of Kate? What's your impression of her screen persona? Um, I was trying to think of something interesting to say about this, like that was a bit unique, but I couldn't think of anything. But the best thing I thought was that like, there was a period about um, four years ago, five years ago, where I suddenly realized, oh, she's the best actress of her generation. Like I kind of always taken her a bit for granted. And then I realized, oh no, she's, she can do anything. She can be in anything. And she's one of the best contemporary examples I have for talking about someone who has range as in not just doing accents, mm-hmm. wigs and stuff, but as in for me, range is not so much that they become characters that they can be dropped into any genre and mm-hmm. work like Kate Blanchett can do period stuff. She can do comedy. She can do dramatic. She can do even do like comic book genre, sci-fi stuff. And like, she's good in all of them mm-hmm. where, for example, let's say Sigourney Weaver, someone who I also love, she could never do a period movie. Like she reads as too modern, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So like, like so generally when I see Kate Blanchett in the movie, it's like, Oh, you'll, this is going to be great. You're going to be great. Even if the movie's not great, you'll be great. Yeah. I think for a lot of people sort of that, that her range sort of clicked for people and they started to talk about her range in 2008 where she played Bob Dylan and Queen Elizabeth yes. in the, within the same month. I think both movies were released in October, November. Um, and so everybody was just that year was talking about her range. She can do Elizabeth and Bob Dylan. Um, <laughs> but I always, you know, I, I sort of, um, as 
listeners of this podcast know, I saw her in Elizabeth in 1998. And that was just like, you know, I was a young, impressionable gay man. And I was flabbergasted by that. It, I, it's just a pretty fabulous sing. film. Yeah. Like, like did, so did you know that, like, Elizabeth I is the single, like, um, uh, role, but specifically, like, historical figure that's being portrayed by the greatest number of Oscar-winning actresses? And it's like such a thing to like cut your teeth because there's not many great roles for women in history. So mm-hmm. they all inevitably like Emma Thompson, Vanessa Redgrave, Glenda Jackson, Helen Mirren, Kate Blanchett, uh, Betty, Davis. Betty Davis. Yeah. And there's one more in there. Um, can't recall, but um, James McAvoy's former wife, what's her name, who is in Notes on a Scandal. Amory Duff and her Elizabeth is so good. I think it's the best one. Mm. Um, but she hasn't won an Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I didn't know Emma Thompson did Elizabeth. That is news to me. It's very pedantic. She plays Queen Elizabeth I in like a Christmas special of a comedy of oh. a sitcom. Like, but she's in it. Like, and she okay. does do it. So she like, did. yeah. And then of course, more, more recently, the most recent one is Margot Robbie in that forgettable yeah. movie. Mary Queen yeah. <laughs> but Margot's likely to win at some point, so she's likely going to be added to the list. Yes, absolutely. Um, and <laughs> listeners, if you don't know, Dash had, knows a lot about Oscar and actresses. And you wrote a book, right? Yeah, that's what I'm in the middle of redrafting. <laughs> All right. What's, what's your book's title? <laughs> the Big O. And it's kind of just like, a, it's ba- I'm, I'm, I'm sort of repackaging a bit at the moment as just focusing more on like on just trivia and stuff in general. So like, this afternoon, I spent 20 minutes just typing up every single person that's ever been nominated for an Oscar for a performance of a Tennessee Williams character who wrote the greatest number of Oscar-nominated roles. 19. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, I bringing up Tennessee Williams, Kate should have played, should have done a remake of A Streetcar because she did the play. She and I tell it, yeah. you, that was probably the best performance I've seen on stage. And I've seen a mm. lot of theater, but she was amazing. I'd like her to do Sweet Bird of Youth. Because mm-hmm. the, the film for that is not great. And I like it. And it's not, mm-hmm. very, it's not great. But the, the film for a streetcar is like, it's pretty like unassailable. Like anything you do is going to be seen as like the not as good exactly like how we're dealing with west side story right now totally yeah 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 so it's kind of like oh well it was pretty flawless to begin with like really like aside from the usual discussions about the casting of it but like even they don't it's kind of like a Mm -hmm. it's not it's not the it's not the biggest problem it's not the worst example of it because the movie's more about like the score the music the choreography Mm -hmm. at least at least to me and obviously yeah it's not like I'm white, so like I shouldn't really be commenting on it. <laughs> and she did do a little bit of Blanche in Blue Jasmine, so so she yeah. kind of did her version. Yeah, um, like I feel I feel that that is just Woody Allen doing a streetcar named Desire, and yeah, it's almost exactly it. <laughs> yeah, and then she is she's 52 now, I think. So she is at mm-hmm. that age where she will get these roles, like Sweet Bird of Years, offered to her if yeah, she absolutely. wants to take them. Um, yeah. So I'm I'm sure she'll get offered all these um roles whether on stage or on film yeah especially if she tries to go for like her triple crown right like because yeah she, she's doing more tv work and she when did, did she do her broadway debut four years I ago i think it was four or five years ago is the present which was not a great play although she was better. 
as as is her way, right? Yeah, as is her way. Yeah, she has she and this is this is a good segue to what to what we're talking about, Veronica Guerin, because I call 1999 to 2004 um, her wilderness years. I think mm-hmm. she just reading interviews from from that time, she sort of wanted to go as far away from Elizabeth as she can in sort of mm-hmm. all the roles that she made. So she made movies like Pushing Tin and The Gift, which are sort of genre movies. And then she didn't want to do any period movies. Um, mm-hmm. And so she made all these movies that sort of, I think, where she learned how to be in front of the camera and became amazing in front of the camera and know, knew how to work, you know, how to do her thing um, on film, but the mm-hmm. movies themselves didn't really work. I think she made um, only one great movie at that time, which was The Talented Mr. Ripley, which- she Yeah, a, it's, um, it's not her movie at all. It's not, but she, it's, I think it's one of her best performances because she, yeah. at that point, she just comes in and she's like a hurricane and she yeah. leaves, a very quiet hurricane. It's not- no, no, you're, you're, you're completely right. Like I, I was thinking of what you said about the wilderness thing and I was like looking through the films of the period and I was trying to think what was, not quite working because it's like you look at the directors and they're all like really good there's like there's like tom twyker barry levinson uh, ron howard like people who are you know make reasonably mm-hmm. good movies yeah i think i think it's that they just didn't know what to do with her and i think it's that when she got to work with maybe i'm actually i should have researched what she's in the years after but like the when film she, she did after like, this is the aviator so yeah when she gets someone like when yeah. you get someone like a Martin Scorsese or a Todd Haynes or someone that really knows what to do with her. Whereas before it's like, and, and, and also like her other ones, these are like blokey man directors. They make movies for men, you know, like there's not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of interiority to her characters in these ones, I would say. Yeah. Um, which is fine, but it's definitely not what she's good at. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see, I think one of the movies that I think is good in that period is, but also it's heaven with uh, Tom Tickford, but that, I think the story is a little bit too strange and her performance is, is, um, is great, but also just on a register, maybe that people at that time were not used to seeing. Um, I mean, it was from 2002, right? Yes. So it's a year before Veronica Guerin. And it deals with terrorism, right? Yes. And it's after 9-11, right? <laughs> like, exactly, I, like, yes. I, I feel that, unfortunately, they must have gone into production at one time and the world changed whenever. And it's just, yeah, definitely, like, this is a tough sell. Yeah. Especially that it asks you, like, it's told from the point of view of the two terrorists played by exactly. Giovanni Ribisi. Exactly. So it, it was a tough sell at that, at that time. Yeah, and then yeah, it goes yeah. into, like, a little bit of, like, it becomes a, it becomes a fable and, like, you know... A, it's it's a strange film. <laughs> but anyway, we are here to talk about Veronica Guerin, which is from 2003. It's directed by Joel Schumacher. It is about Irish journalist Veronica Guerin, who is um, a very well-known figure and well-loved and respected in Ireland. She did these investigations into the drug trade in Dublin, um, which led to her murder in 1996 at the very young age of 37. Um, so Kate plays Veronica Guerin. This is another one of her titular roles. And this movie was released just a few years after Guerin was murdered. So mm-hmm. like it was sort of a, a contemporary of that story. It happened just a couple of years after. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, so she's a major figure in Ireland, right, Dad? Um, I, I, I think, I mean, I can't tell for certain. 
I think the movie conflates a lot of things, especially about her legacy. Um, for, and and I think also uh, maybe she's more famous in death than she necessarily was alive. And mm-hmm. the, the and not just this movie, but the 2000 movie that they made starring Joan Allen, which is basically the same movie, but fictionalized. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of um, uh, mythologizing about her. Like, for instance, I thought, I, I was looking at like old archive footage this afternoon of the national broadcaster reporting on the incident when that guy comes to her house and shoots her. Mm-hmm. And like, they say like, Oh, at, at Gurin's home where she lives that she shares with her husband and daughter. She didn't have oh. a daughter. She has a son. And this yeah. is, and then he says, she's one of Ireland's most respected uh, uh, criminal uh, reporters. So it's like, the film is sort of portraying her as like something of a celebrity in that, like even the national broadcaster is screwing up on whether or not she has a son or daughter and she only had yeah. one child. So, um, and like, like the, the bit which kind of sticks in my craw a bit is the bit at the end when they're like, everyone in Ireland knew where they were when Veronica Gurren was killed. I think that's people say they knew where they were when Candy was assassinated that's the only person I've heard like that sentence attached mm-hmm. to. And I think it's yeah. a very bold uh, claim to say that because um, it fits with the heavy handedness of the film. Like I thought the film sort of in general was a little heavy handed with the subject. Yeah. I mean, that fits with that. The, the, the thing, the thing sort of to understand about like Ireland is there's, there's not two Ireland's, there's three Ireland's there's Northern Ireland and there's the Republic. And in the Republic, there is Dublin and everywhere else. And, mm. And Ireland is a country that has been like for the past hundred years is trying to be like moved past its colonial history as, you know, part of Britain or part of the United Kingdom. And it means as a result that they really are invested in talking about themselves a lot in their press, in their media and all sorts of stuff. So it does get a bit insular and it does get a bit self-involved. So mm. not to diminish the horrors of like the, the drug trade in Dublin at this time, which were actually quite real. The movie isn't really exaggerating it that much. Mm. Um, at the same time, it's also only affecting like a few neighborhoods, but it's being given like colossal national attention and not especially, um, not very sensitive, to, not very sensitive attention with regards to how one, how you know drug addiction is like a social problem. Mm-hmm. It's a lot more sort of uh, being dismissive and damning, condescending about drug addicts rather than yes. criminal organizations and stuff. Yes. Um, and I, I, that was one of the things to sort of notice, like, especially the movie sort of starts with the investigation of Veronica Guerin. She goes into sort of these drug dens where these young teenagers, I thought the makeup was also very heavy handed here. Oh, God, like they all look like they have so many bruises and as if their skin is just... I kept saying, I kept saying Dickensian, like, like, it's just, it's, it's, it's awkward because I lived in Dublin, like, like, it doesn't look like that. Like the way that they have portrayed it is as if it is Dick- Victorian Dickensian London. Yes. Um, and it's like in this period, it's during the Celtic Tiger when the economy is surging. So it's it's more, it's a place of extremes. There is extreme wealth and mm-hmm. there is extreme poverty. And again, they, they kind of just portray the entire city like this. And this is definitely where you can see that. I think the production is largely Irish, like in the credits, all, mm-hmm. every, every technical person... And I think it's just the money's American and uh, the director and the lead actress, almost all, all the cast are Irish. Yeah. So like, yeah. So it's, um, I think they made decisions about how they wanted certain things to read. They saw train spotting. They wanted mm-hmm. this sort of look, but a very just, gritty sort of 
look yeah 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 which is like it 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 just it it doesn't quite give the right impression with regards mm-hmm. to what's sort of going on there with it and i think it, it, i think it also just went a little maybe too far in the other direction like maybe they were aiming for gritty but it became unreal but to me it just became like i don't think that's how teenagers would look who just like um, I think it just went a little too much. Like they almost had open wounds on their faces. Like, yeah. <laughs> Although now, so I don't, my boyfriend's also Irish um, and he's uh, three years older than me and he's actually from Dublin. But he said that like the imagery of all like the needles and stuff just carpeting the ground of like the States, that's moderately true. Oh, okay. um, um, it, it, I think it is definitely goes a bit beyond the levels of taste when you've got the kids playing with the syringes, but that's not invention because obviously when you talk about Joel Schumacher, the word camp is, is associated with him. Absolutely. Yeah, 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 exactly. So it's like it, but I think that that bit's moderately real. And, and Schumacher started as a costume designer and a production Mm -hmm. and an art director. So I think sort of like sets and costumes are things that are top of mind for him always. Yeah. 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 You, you, You absolutely see that. Like, like even like <laughs> Veronica's house. Um, looking at that archive footage I told you about today, they show the house she lived in, and I, like, I don't know the house she lived in, but you see those houses everywhere. It's a standard mm-hmm. house, but like in the house you see in this movie, is so much posher. It's like this, you know, luxurious like like a uh, farmhouse conversion with this stonework everywhere. Oh, it's very and it's it's like such a such a silly like upgrade of production. <laughs> Yeah, I guess American filmmakers can't help themselves. Even when they're going for gritty, they have to put their main characters in these big houses and big lofts like they do in America. In movies set in New York, nobody lives in, unless, you know, you're top 1%, nobody lives in long, big spaces in New York. Well, well, when when we were watching it, we were trying, my boyfriend and we were trying to like, we were trying to like say, is there like a class thing going on here? Because... One thing they don't go into in the movie is that before Gurin was a journalist, she was a she worked she ran a PR firm for about seven years, and during that period, she was also working for a, a former prime minister, like in his office, in between um, two of his terms in the mid eighties when he's prime minister. And that guy is kind of like uh, the the he's he's someone who like like years later tons of allegations of corruption but he's like a nixon-esque figure um which kind of makes her like a bit like a diane sawyer-esque figure <laughs> but uh no but um um the, the point i'm trying to say is that veronica is like very fairly privileged despite the fact that we see like you know her mm-hmm. family don't seem that rich she's pretty in the establishment she's posh as the yeah yeah <laughs> as far as far as that goes like in our i'd say and like likewise the when you see like the the crime boss like just how common he is you know like mm-hmm. like just the the bits like when he's serving caviar and they, he has his like wife has to underline where it comes from just these things are going you're just oh you're just so repulsive in a really grubby little way and oh yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> so what I sort of liked about this movie, and, you know, mm-hmm. I also, I, I sort of alluded a little bit to what I don't liked about it, was there is all mm-hmm. this heavy handedness, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But what I sort of liked about it, as somebody who enjoys watching Kate, like this mm-hmm. was 
a very sort of complex role, or at least a role yeah. that gave her a lot of notes to play. Like she's yeah. she's dogged, she's focused. She is intimidated and intimidating in scene, in different scenes, depending on who she's in, uh, she shares the screen with. So mm-hmm. there, you know, she's brave, she's frightened. Um, there's she gets beaten up, which there there's a lot of that. I wasn't, yeah, you know, I didn't enjoy watching her get beaten up and shot at mm-hmm. and all of that and murdered. But it is sort of like a role she's she's almost in every scene. There is a lot for her to do. And so from that perspective, I enjoyed watching and I thought her performance was um very um sort of she she managed to play all these notes and and be special and mesmerizing on screen. I kept trying to think like this film this film really does feel like um um uh a play for an Oscar, right? Not necessarily for her, but on the part of Brooke Brookheimer especially, I think, in mm-hmm. that like he's trying to and I think the movie it's most reminded me of is Aaron Brockovich, the dogged like woman that's in every scene and she does so much, has so much done to her. And this would have been just a couple of years after Aaron Brockovich. I, absolutely. So that's why I'm thinking it's like, oh, it's 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 fully trying to do this yeah and we get like we get little bits of like you know woods word and bernstein-esque hero journalism type stuff as well which is mm-hmm. you know it's always good to have your main character be a journalist because they're always seeking things out and going places like mm-hmm. it's it's a it's success it it's successful job for like storytelling right yes because um, you're investigating and trying to find and peeling yeah, yeah. the story like an onion yes absolutely yeah 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 um and it always just reads as like quite and it always reads as quite noble on screen but mm-hmm. um um watching her like you said you just enjoy watching her and you do i think irrespective of the plot whatever i think that she does capture a, the quality that i think gurin must have had for her to be able to charm her way into access with so many people mm-hmm. legally and and illegally you know like like you're just you are engaged with her i think the roger ebert critique that the character is just like nakedly self-serving is is a bit glib because I think that that's not entirely the, the case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I highlighted the Roger Ebert um, review in the outline um, and what he said because I thought it was completely not what the movie was aiming for, nor is it what I noticed. So I was yeah. like, oh, that's a completely different interpretation. Um, that she was, you know, egocentric and just wanted to serve herself and become famous. And that's sort of what he liked about the film, which I'm like, what movie were you watching? It was very, very strange. Um, yeah. they're, they're actually actually speaking of which like fame and stuff there is one key thing I, that does I think I should point out so um uh the the newspaper she works for mm-hmm. okay it's called the Sunday Independent and it's um because because we're doing like a hero journalist type story we immediately think you know all the president's men it's the Washington Post it's the best of the best the classiest <laughs> it is not the Sunday Independent is basically a right-wing rag and she alludes wow. to it in the script, but like they're conservative, populist, anti Sinn Fein, which is slightly understandable in the nineties, but they kind of still are today. And that, that mm-hmm. and that today, that mostly means just anti organized left wing. So she's um, working basically for something like the Daily Mail. Uh, I would say like the New York Post. Okay. Okay. Like it's it. it's 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 it has a bit more credibility. I mean, the post isn't very credibility, but like it definitely it's it's the second most popular paper in the country. Yeah, the post is very popular um, in New York. So, yes, yeah. even though it might not be as credible and definitely. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Um, and I think the Sunday version, which she specifically worked on, is like a little more highbrow. But even still, like that's um, 
this is what I was saying that like the when when they would report on things like uh, I'm trying to think of a, of a sensitive way of saying it, but you know, like like communities being ravaged by drug abuse. This is the kind of paper that is reporting on it, but not in a very nuanced or sensitive mm-hmm. way. And she's kind of aware of it, but at the same time, it's just it's a it's a a, a lot, and that's sort of I see why they didn't go into that. Yes. Um, yeah, because I totally missed that. Like, I don't think that was something at all present in mm-hmm. the film. Um, yeah, yeah. Because, like, I mean, it's like it's such like a it's such a non important thing. But I think it's just because, like, again, I keep saying all the presidents men, but like, again, the 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 Washington Post is supposed to be the premier paper in you know the world, and yes, it's absolutely. you know the 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 zenith of like journalistic integrity. Um, but that's not what the paper she's at is with so even when they're kind of like oh you could do fashion and like you know stuff like that's kind of a bit more of what it is like it's sort of not very challenging and it's just a yeah. bit. that that's very interesting what you were saying about that um but i also should want to go back a little bit to sort of like the film and the, and its heavy-handedness i think mm-hmm. i really noticed this um in the scene where veronica played by kate is attacked at home and yes. sort of the film just I, as if Joel Schumacher goes into a completely different register, the editing becomes sort of, you know, everything slows down. It's in Mm -hmm. slow motion. So many different cuts. The editing just goes crazy. And the music also goes crazy and just becomes Mm -hmm. like hard hitting. And I think that sort of undercuts the performance itself because, you know, she's being attacked by this man in her Mm -hmm. home and she's supposed to play frightened and scared. And and I couldn't even see her face between the slow-mo and the music and all of the things that are... The strobe. What, What is happening i think the worst bits probably were the bits that are actually like the important plot bits i think the Mm -hmm. best bits are the bits where it's just like just let the actors act so like like Mm -hmm. her scenes with kieran hines i thought were really good he was a great co-star for her because you know he didn't overtake her um and like i i found his um so kieran Kieran hines who is currently in the oscar hunt for belfast plays an informant but sort of who sort of misleads veronica a little bit and then Mm -hmm. And then she's always like trying to get information from him. And this is this is where she gets like, he really spars with her well. This is where sometimes she's scared of him. Sometimes she's like trying to intimidate him. It, it's a very good sort of, um, like you said, they really played well off of each other. Yeah, he's he's able to hold his own in a scene with her, but you're not in doubt of who the star of this movie is, um, which is a very important thing when you're casting, right? Yeah. I did find like his his interestingly art directed brothel amusing like that was just it's like it's it's not gonna look this good that's absurd yeah but um uh, but also i kind of enjoyed that scene in the brothel where she sort of basically interrupts him mid-coitus yeah um and because it, famous. It's, it's a different is it famous it's a famous scene no, it's no, no, like- that, that, no that that's what the girl he's in bed with it's like when she when veronica barges in and then she's like she's famous she is <laughs> oh that's what she said. Um, but I thought that that was completely different than everything else because most of this takes place in bars or in the street yeah. or when she's she's in her car or at home. And this was a completely different setting. And it just, I think, gave the movie a jolt because all of, you know, this is um, a story that's noble. And I think this is the other thing that I didn't care for with this movie. It's a, Veronica is very noble, obviously, but it's sort of a, a very easy good versus evil narrative yes. that doesn't allow for a lot of complexity. Like I wish um, we would have had a little bit more shade of Veronica, I'm sure. Like you get it a little bit in her um, interactions with Kieran Hines, but I'm sure she was pricklier than what the, mm-hmm. the script 
Because if she managed to write these stories and sort of uncover these truths, she must have been somebody who is, you know, not that noble all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and this is what I was saying that like the the movie sort of in death, it's that you can't be too critical of them, mm-hmm. even if that yeah. means like I would like to see some human traits, like like saintly journalist is is not the most engaging to watch necessarily no matter how good the actor is it can be a bit mm, whereas i kind of yeah like like i'd like her just to be just a little if there's just one or two little notes of her just being a bit twisted with like informant or something but Mm. um but uh, that's i guess it's sort of like ask but i actually i'd say a more constructive thing would be i wish they had something to do with brenda fricker (laughs) who plays her mom oscar winner brenda fricker (laughs) like I understand that, like, even though she's an Oscar winner, she hasn't, like, had an Oscar winner's career. Like, she she never went Hollywood, per se, and she always kind of stayed in Britain and Ireland, and she never really, like, was interested in, like, fame and stuff. Yes. Um, but still, it's... it's and, and, like, she's mostly here because she lives in Ireland more than anything else. It's not, yeah. like, that she's seeking that. But it does um, seem like a missed opportunity. Yeah, and I think maybe they were looking... I mean, Kate, this movie came out after she was in Lord of the Rings and after she's been mm-hmm. nominated for an Oscar for Elizabeth. So she was a name, but there is sort of a feeling I'm getting that maybe they were looking for names. Because Brenda Fricker appears, you know, she was sort of a name in Ireland, I'm assuming. Um, and mm-hmm. she appears at the beginning. The movie actually starts with her um, trying to... wishing that her daughter was, will lose her driver's license so maybe mm-hmm. she will um, be safer and not follow these... these um, these stories to her death. And, you, and I sort of thought that I, she would be more of a presence if the movie started with her, but she, basically that was maybe her one big scene. And then she's yeah. mainly just in the background looking worried. Yeah. Cause you're um, kind of hoping that you're kind of hoping there's going to be a bit where she goes to her mom and she's crying and she's like, you put yourself together. And like, this is the scene, right? This is why she's here, but never really, even when, even when she learns about her death, like I was hoping for, you know, full devastation, like fall to the ground, shrieking, like just but yeah. it's kind of just like resign silence, which yes. is not, not fun to watch. Too... Resign silence no. is definitely not fun to watch. No, no. Like I wanted, like, actually, this is this is probably a bit dark, but I do appreciate how much face work Kate was doing in the death scene. Like yeah. when you see, you know, she's like, ah, like this is, this is a lot, which is like, cool that you're showing me abject terror. This is good. Yeah, it was hard to watch her, frankly. As somebody who loves watching her, it was hard to watch her shot at, being shot at, murdered, and beaten. There is a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that scene was great. The abject terror she showed is great. But also the scene where she was, where um, the main drug lord, whom she goes mm-hmm. to at home, beats her up. And sort of like you see that, that scene, yeah. Joel Schumacher was understated. Unlike the other scenes, the music was fine. There was no mm-hmm. music. And he didn't do the crazy cutting and yeah. sort of, they, he just allowed her to be beaten up for like a whole minute in front of you. And it was kind of hard to watch, but also great to watch because she was doing a lot of work, um, being feeling scared and intimidated and just trying to run away. Um, yeah, from like, a performance I, I, perspective, it was a great scene. Yeah, I think I thought that that scene was, obviously whenever any scene has like intense physical violence, especially being perpetrated on a woman, it's like, uh, this could you're you're sort of approaching going does this need to be here and i think that 
arguably none of those scenes ever need to be in the movie, but I think that this one was effectively done in that like, going, mm-hmm. oh, this is brutal. And it does have important plot ramifications. Yes. Um, and it's done, it doesn't linger, thankfully. And I did like that note at the end where you see the guy's horrible wife, um, you know, at the door, which I mm-hmm. thought that was just a nice addition just to show like, oh, they're all rotten and they all know yeah. about it and they're all just vile. Rather and than she was happy was, about it. Like she was happy her husband beat up Veronica. Exactly, exactly. And I kind of thought that like, like, like you're saying, like, I just wish it was a bit, those, you wish it was just a bit more like just, just color mm-hmm. and stuff. Like that, that was a good bit where you're kind of going to like, oh God, yeah, just, ugh, ugh. And this is, it, it sort of shows you the stakes, the stakes of this investigation. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, journalists get killed all the time while they're doing these sort of um, investigations. In fact, there is a note in the film at the end of how many yeah. were killed. But I think that also, was very classy. Yeah. But also this kind of shows you like in the field, she's doing her job and she's attacked in this, Mm -hmm. you know, very violent, visceral way. So it raises Mm -hmm. the stakes of the whole thing. Yeah. like It it is effectively used, which is not a sentence I'm happy with saying, but. (laughs) (laughs) So we talked about Brenda Fricker, Kieran Hines. Mm -hmm. There is also a cameo from Colin Farrell, which I... Did they just sort of hire everybody who has a name in Ireland? It was so very funny that he just appears in one scene. He had been in two Schumacher films at this point. He was in Tigerland and he was in Phone Booth. And Phone Booth came right after Minority Report. And Phone Booth was one of his first big solo leading man movies. So he kind of owes his career to Schumacher a bit. But more importantly, he's actually shooting a movie in Ireland at this time called Intermission. Oh. which was very famous in Ireland at this time. Um, so like he is like just around that. That's pretty much why he's there. Yeah. And sort um, of maybe he visited Joel and then Joel was like, do you want to just do a scene with Kate? Because basically she comes out of a bar and he's watching mm-hmm. um, a football match with Eric Cantona, which is a very meta joke because Eric Cantona was yeah. in Elizabeth with Kate. Um, and they talk about Eric Cantona for like a minute and then he's yeah. gone. <laughs> it's, and I think he's, he's, he, because he's, now the mo- second most famous person in the movie he's like list nine to be as like tattooed boy like and he's the second billing in the in the on the page but yeah, yeah it's so like i i think there is a degree of you are sort of supposed to know who he is mm-hmm. um and it is then it is a cameo but it is just a bit wacky <laughs> yeah he gets a very nice close-up right like um yeah. he gets you know joel schumacher loves him obviously he oh, absolutely him. and so the minute he appears he gets this gorgeous close-up and you just like oh you can't miss him like yeah. even though he's incidental to the plot to the movie to veronica you can't miss him <laughs> yeah we get like there's a lot of like sort of rough trade representation in this movie you know lots of <laughs> dangerous <laughs> unstable but still kind of hot man <laughs> yes and he's the hottest and i didn't get at all danger from him because he was flirting no, no. with veronica yeah yeah but I, I guess what I'm saying is by an Irish standpoint, anyone that is like, it, it seems in any way working class, it is like, oh, they're dangerous, especially especially <laughs> Dublin's inner city working class. It's like, they're treated like subhuman and it's, yeah. <sighs> um, so Dash, I have like the $20 million question. So okay. um, I am, as, as I mentioned, I'm Sudanese. Mm-hmm. And as someone who speaks English as a second language, my first language mm-hmm. is Arabic. I am not always aware of the nuances in accents. Like I know when an accent is sort of far off or not working, but don't always sort of distinguish between a good workable accent that sort of just passes and Mm -hmm. one that's great and Mm -hmm. on the spot. So what say you on Kate's Irish accent? 
it is serviceable. But what I will say is, mm-hmm. whether or not it's a good Irish accent doesn't matter. It is a good Veronica Gurren accent because she does sound like her. Oh, okay. And that's an important distinction to make. I think, and like, like all sorts of Irish people think about this all the time. And it's like, it's that like everyone thinks I'm American, even in the village I grew up in. Um, and I think it's, I think it's because um, we don't hear our own accents on screen in any believable way very often. Mm-hmm. And when it is, it's either patty whackery in that it's Americans or British people trying an accent or it's Irish people being told to play up one. And it's actually not how like a lot of people actually speak. And like I've heard people say in the southern states in America complain about how they don't all talk like Foghorn Leghorn. But some, <laughs> but sometimes certain things evolve on camera and it's not that they're good, but they just work. And similarly, mm-hmm. I think when people speak with authentic Irish accents on screen, it's mm-hmm. a bit like when people speak with New Zealand accents, you're kind of like, oh boy, what is this? This is really weird. Like what? What's um, going on? Yeah, yeah. You're just like, and it, I, I don't know if it's, I mean, it's definitely lack of experience. I don't think it's like this, this it's not like it's this thing where it's like, oh, some accents just don't work. Mm-hmm. But it, it is sort of a bit, um, it does instill an uncanny feeling and it's kind of like we're just making one movie. It's not mm-hmm. our job to like completely reassess the way people view an entire mm-hmm. culture is yeah. accent on screen. So I think that's why a lot of times people just tend to pick something. Where, but yeah, I think Veronica, I think Kate's Veronica's accent is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, so I've never, you know, as a critic, I never care about accents that much. Mm-hmm. I'm like, as long as the emotional truth of the character is there. And yeah. I always find it lazy when like um, you read a review of a movie and the critic only would mention the accent is the only thing he, he or she mentions about the performance. Mm-hmm. And you're like, if you didn't know where this actor was born, you wouldn't even notice this. Accent, exactly. But you exactly. made a whole paragraph about. Um, I mean, and that's and that's, I guess, like a case to no. Because again, this this can this can easily mutate into quite ugly stereotyping and stuff. But mm-hmm. I think when certain broad stock accents evolve through a long decade, centuries of dramatic performances, it is just because they need a shorthand to be like, this person's from this place. It's like, yeah, we don't have time to do six months of research for the specific thing that, that probably no one's going to appreciate because and they'll just say you sound weird. Um <laughs> and it's like, you know, like it's 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 give or take. Like obviously. There's the racist end of it, which is not okay. But yeah. then there's like, but then there's like, not everyone in Britain who is working class is a cockney. Yeah, totally. So just to make to make this sort of subject fun, because people do like mm. to talk about accents. You know, yeah. the queen of accents, we know her, is of course Meryl Streep. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't sort of compare American accents because Meryl is American and Kate is not. But I always thought her American accents were amazing very specific Mm -hmm. sort of like american accents like when she played blue jasmine it was very specific new york socialite accent when she feel like what i I feel like what she does is she does she actually finds examples of people and mimics Mm -hmm. them which is what meryl streep does as well like she doesn't just go how to do this like she'll do and again that's why i said the veronica gurning she's doing veronica gurning like that's what she's doing Mm-hmm. She must have listened to tapes or something of yeah, Veronica yeah. Guerin and, and that's how she got it. But just for fun. So Meryl, mm-hmm. um, the Queen of Accent, has done Irish in a mm-hmm. movie. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but I have, I have. seen it, uh, Dancing at Lunasa. Good pronunciation. 
genuinely genuinely that wasn't the well I just sort of went and watched the trailer for it again just to make sure that's why it came out well so Kate or Meryl Kate and Veronica or Meryl in Dancing at Lunasa I think it's Meryl because my mother's family are literally from the area where Dancing at Lunasa is set and it is it's like this is the thing where like it's so regional and specific in a way that is never shown on screen so Mm -hmm. the fact that Meryl can do that really well kind of gives her bonus points whereas Kate is like I said she's kind of doing like non-SNL impression but she's doing an impression of someone who has a lot of Mm -hmm. footage about them which is is easier I would say And so Kate um, played an Italian in Heaven, a movie mm-hmm. that we talked about. And in that movie, she actually speaks Italian. I don't mm-hmm. speak Italian, so I don't know. But when I released the episode where I discussed Heaven with Kyle Stevens, I heard from an it, and we talked about the accent a little bit, and I sort of posed the question, if there are any listeners in Italy, um, mm-hmm. tell us, is her Italian authentic? Because sometimes <laughs> when I hear somebody speak Arabic um, mm-hmm. in, a, in a film, I'm always like, oh, they just learned this phonetic. This doesn't make any sense. Somebody just sure, told sure. them, it's, these are the sounds you need to make. Like yeah, Isabel yeah. Huppert just made a movie last year, amazing actress, but her Arabic was atrocious. I did not know <laughs> one word she was saying. Um, obviously, somebody just told her, make these sounds. Um, yeah. But that one of my listeners sort of came back and from Italy, came back to me and said that Kate was amazing in okay. heaven. Her Italian was really spot on. Um, and so Meryl famously, of course, played an Italian in The Bridges of Madison County from 1995. Mm-hmm. Wonderful film directed by Clint Eastwood, one of my favorite Meryl performances. And her accent is amazing. So who, 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 Kate or Meryl? <laughs> I'm thinking a lot about Gaga. <laughs> and... In House of Gucci. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, no, I'm, I'm getting there, I'm getting there. And the, and the discourse around it. And I've heard Italian people say that, like, while... The, the the English bits where she is kind of doing a Patrizia are a bit ludicrous and it is a bit like, you know, I make a da pasta for you. Yeah. The bits I've heard Italian say, like, when she speaks in Italian, it's actually pretty good. Mm, um, interesting. Yeah, and I have a feeling that Italian, in, like, as in speaking Italian, it's not that hard. You don't, you don't have to do, like, a whole lot of accent, you know? Like, mm-hmm. the the way, like, the fact that there's the it more or less, like, reads how it, is written like there's not a lot of like like trickery in the pronunciation stuff and i think that most italians don't have like a lot of heavy accenting in the way they there's a lot of loudness there's a lot of quickness mm-hmm. but it's yeah. not it's not like that hard to do per se um which i guess i i had a really hard time trying to pick this one because i was like i actually kind of was like i think they're both equal in different reasons they're both also, great yeah, they're both great. They're both great. I would say that I think that Meryl is doing a much tougher one because she's supposed to be doing a 40, 50 something mm-hmm. year old housewife who's been living in Iowa for, you know, 20 years or something. So it's kind of like it's got to be like sand down a bit and have some weird like, you know, so I'm going to go with Meryl just because there's a bit more going on. OK. All right. Um, I'm just going to go with Kate just because, you know, my wonderful listener said that she was mm-hmm. wonderful in her Italian. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so let's do one final one. So I, yeah. I, in doing my research about this, so Kate famously actually played Plenty. She did Plenty on stage uh-huh. in London 
right after Elizabeth, so maybe in 99, 2000. Uh -huh. um, and that would have been 15 years after the movie came out where Meryl played the same part. Yeah. And so, but we can't really compare them as, as the same character because mm -hmm. neither of us have seen Kate do plenty in London, yeah. I don't think. Um, and so I chose Notes in a Scandal because Kate sort of plays a posh British woman from London. Mm -hmm. And doing my research about this, I found this um, profile of Kate in The New Yorker at the time when Notes on a Scandal came out. And sort of Richard Eyer, who directed Notes on mm -hmm. a Scandal, talks about how he got to a sticky start with Kate because he wanted to talk to her about the accent and how she needs to be class-specific and play yeah. uh, and, do, and do a good accent that's very class-specific. And she sort of just wanted to talk about the psychology of the character. And she sort of... She's like, the accent, you know, doesn't matter. It's not something to talk about. I just need to work at it. Um, mm -hmm. So let's just talk about the psychology. And so she, he says, like, he got to the sticky start with her. But, of course, when she came on set, even though she didn't want to talk to him at all about the accent, the accent was spot on perfection. Yeah. Um, so Kate O'Merrill, Plenty versus Notes on a Scandal. Oh, well. It's definitely not some scandal because I tried watching Plenty, the Meryl movie, and I couldn't stand it. And the <laughs> accent felt, I don't know, it was just, you know, the way you read like contemporary criticism of Meryl in the 80s and how yeah. people hated her and called her like cold and bloodless. But like, like the movies that have sort of stuck in the imagination, mm -hmm. basically the ones you got Oscar nominations for aren't all like that. But like when you watch, when I watch Plenty, I was like going, oh, I get it. This character, I, I, and the accent is very general posh. Like it's mm -hmm. just, ah, I'm English. And it's just not very good. It, like it is good. It sounds sort of, but it feels very like, like drama school. Yeah. Um, but with, with Kate's one and thinking about, yeah, but what both she and Richard said about it, that like, because with that character, it is a psychology. I think it might not be because I think Sheba's supposed to be a bit stupid, isn't she? Mm -hmm. the, yeah. yeah, she's supposed to be kind she's, of. She's, I think it's the only time Kate has played dumb on screen, but yeah, it yeah, was like, not in a scandal. <laughs> yeah, like the character's not supposed to be very smart, but what, and so in many ways, I think the accent's very important. And she nails this very specific, like very middle-class Islington yummy mummy which is like well, all these people are and these these mm -hmm. people exist and they sound like her exactly in it like they sound like like she sounds like rosamund pike in some of her movies like it's just this particular kind of mm -hmm. like like oh you're posh but you're really stupid but the accent's telling me you're not yes <laughs> so i think there's a lot more going on there's a lot more going on there this feels like a specific character whereas meryl's character in plenty feels a lot and the, the accent feels more general yeah. So I think Meryl and Kate are tied. They're both amazing, um, yeah. which is what we want out of this podcast <laughs> for all the wonderful actresses to be. We don't, need to pit, we don't need to pit women against each other. Exactly. We want to acknowledge all of them and their wonderful work. I actually was hoping Kate has done a Polish accent because, of course, Meryl's best accent is Sophie's yes. Choice, where it's amazing. Um, but she hasn't. So, Kate, if you're listening, um, find a Polish role. <laughs> she did Russian in The Man Who Cried. Yes, Mm -hmm. I think that's the closest she gets to Poland. Yeah, that's um, the closest. But it's not the same. And no. I loved her. We, we, I also talked to Nathaniel Rogers about The Man Who Cried, and I loved that performance. But not because of the accent. I think she's doing a very sort of theatrical, yeah. big performance where everybody around her is very subdued. And so she shines and kind of steals the yeah. movie. It's like a classic um, scene stealer in yeah. The Man Who Cried. 
But I think it works really well because, yeah, everyone else in there, like Johnny Depp, Christine Ricci, like even not only their characters, but just as performers, they're all famous mm-hmm. for being fairly subdued. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, it is a fun just, it's not unlike, it's not unlike the talent of Mr. Ripley. Like, it's just that kind of like, oh, you're a little hurricane. You're fun. Yeah. You're a lot. Yeah. You're coming <laughs> in for not a lot, but you're a lot when you're on, which is yeah. amazing. I think Kate really shines in those sort of parts. That's my definition of what a really good supporting performance should be, specifically like a an Oscar-winning supporting one, because when they're on screen, mm-hmm. you should be like, oh, I love them. I want to watch their movie. Mm-hmm. And they should be the center of the world. And then when they're gone, the movie should still work. Yes. Which is kind of what she did in The Aviator, which is a year after Veronica oh, Guerin. Like she comes in, she's doing Catherine Hepburn, she's doing the accent, she's mm-hmm. got the freckles, she's got mm-hmm. the costumes, everything. And you can't not watch her, especially in that mm-hmm. first scene where they're playing golf and she's just a real hurricane. She's just coming yeah. in and doesn't stop talking, 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 talking. And you're like, what is going on? But I think with The Aviator, because the movie's so long, I think I missed her. I was like, can we bring her back? No, I did. I, 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 I did too. I did too. I was like, can she come back just for like one little scene, like maybe at the end? Because you are so thinking she was great. And like, mm-hmm. I think everyone in that is good. Like, I genuinely like Kate Beckinsale. I think she's never gotten parts that she deserved, but she's fabulous in it as, you She know, looks the part. Like, like, she definitely looks like Ava Gardner. Uh, she, she, she looks the part, but I also enjoy the fact that like she, the tone she's delivering it is like, so like, she's actually yeah. unfazed by anything Howard does, you know? So she's just like, like, just like, oh, yes. Hmm. <laughs> in a way that like, I don't think Kate would be, yeah. because Kate would be, Kate's yeah. a lot more engaged. And with, you know, it's like, and it's like that, even that was fun. Um, but like, I, I always love that scene when um, Faith Domergue crashes her car into the side of their car and like, you know, just screaming, <laughs> yes. get that crazy bitch yeah. away from me. Oh. So good. Now I just want to go watch all her scenes as Catherine Hepburn again. Um, I love that performance so much. I know yeah. when she won oh, the Oscar, so um, it yeah. sort of was not, people maybe loved um, Virginia Madsen a little bit more that year. And so... It wasn't like a loved win, but I've always mm-hmm. loved it. Um, and I thought that it was a deserved win, even though, you know, Virginia Matson also is deserving. But I, and Kate talked about that and she said something like, um, which I think to what you were saying earlier yeah. about Veronica Guerin being geared toward Oscar, she's like, maybe now everybody I work with will mm-hmm. relax and stop releasing every movie I make in December. So that was like her take about winning the Oscar for. Yeah, yeah, that, that and that's that's very true. I think that's absolutely because because she's so, you know, in the late nineties, like she's such a Miramax esque actress. You know, like she's like Nicole Kidman, Renee Zellweger, like just one of these people mm-hmm. who like are in these like adult dramas that like do well at awards, maybe and and also it was felt like she was leading the conversation for best actress the year of Elizabeth, and then Gwyneth Paltrow came from behind and sort of won with a late release, mm-hmm. and so there was a lot of sentiment like Kate Blanchett should be an Oscar winner, and so basically all these movies that she made in that era, in that mm-hmm. era, things like Charlotte Gray and Veronica Guerin, and and all of these movies, they were all like she said released in December, hoping to be that movie that wins Kate Blanchett the Oscar, and so she's, after the Aviator, she's like everybody I work with, yeah, relax yeah, yeah. now, don't release the movies in December. And and to be fair, I feel neither of her Oscar wins are yeah. necessarily for movies that didn't deserve it, which can so often happen in, in these scenarios yeah. when they get the idea that someone deserves one, right? It can be for, although I don't personally mind what someone wins for, but 
it is nice when it's for like, oh no, yeah. that was that and was Blue Jasmine, Jasmine definitely much more than The Aviator. Like that was the performance everybody was talking about that year, and also it came out really early, so every yeah. every movie that came out and with a leading mm-hmm. actress performance was sort of measured against her, and everybody was like, no, no, it's still Kate. So, <laughs> I mean, I think she fully stole that picture as well. Like she did, she did her own costuming for it, which mm-hmm. is like yes. for that character is so essential. Um, but even like, like I'm convinced that originally it was, it, I think it changed in editing. Cause I think that originally it was probably supposed to be like a, like a mm. reversal of fortune thing between the two sisters and Sally oh. Hawkins was meant to have a bit more screen time. Like, cause that whole subplot with her romance with Louis CK, like all this stuff and, is and just, it kind of just yeah. feels extraneous. And I feel that, yeah. And I feel that mm-hmm. Kate just came in with so much, um, that they're like, okay, I think this needs to be the movie and we're doing Streetcar. I love Blue Jasmine. I think it's probably my favorite of her performances. It's even though like it's a, it's, it's a, I like Kate in this mode where she's, she's unraveling. Like she's dealing with a lot of emotions and unraveling. Up. Yeah. And she does that a lot. Um, and sometimes a little bit reserved, but in, in Blue Jasmine, she just let mm-hmm. the gushers out. Like she let it all out. Like, you know, I mean, we know we know the memes that are popular. The fact that like there's a or sorry, the gifts that are popular, like, you know, the, the one of just her like yeah. crying and drinking wine at the restaurant. It's like that's just such a potent moment and to be able to convey it so well. Yeah. Or I saw you, Erica, which I do say in real life. Like and again, just there's so many it's just so many lines, there's so many good deliveries, there's so many good gestures. It's like she's on all cylinders in that movie. And yeah, as a win, it's entirely deserved. I can't recall who she was up against that year. Um, um, Sandra Bullock in Gravity, Meryl in August Osage County. Amy Adams in G- American Hustle. And Judy Dench in Philomena, which yeah. I love Dame Judy. Yeah. yeah, and like, ironically, Philomena is a great portrayal of like Irishness on screen. Like, she is literally my grandmother. Like, I know who that person is. Mm. Um, or not, my grandmother wasn't a Magdalene laundry survivor, but she acts in the same way. And there's just like mm-hmm. lots of like notes and things. And I think that it was tough because it's like, Kate, I see how she wins. I fully yeah. understand it. I kind of wanted Judy to win for a lot of personal reasons, but yeah. it's sort of like, it's kind of like, you know, two equal. Either, either outcome is fine yeah yes um i love i you know i love dame judy and Philomena. i think i remember seeing that movie and just like i was awash in tears i don't i cry a lot at movies but that was just a little bit more tears than usual even for me <laughs> yeah I, and and that's even considering it's doing something which could so easily just be mawkish sentimentality you know like it could easily be quite bad yeah um and i think more so her performance really just there's a lot of heart in it in a way that I think you could easily just not have put in and it would just be a lot more yeah sentimental yeah I'm glad we got to talk about all these movies Dash (laughs) Um, but so with Veronica Guerin I wanted to play a little game with you Dash so with Veronica Guerin Kate Blanchett is very famous for always playing the titular role like Mm -hmm. she has a lot of movies where the title of the movie is the name of her character. It's like the, the Joan Crawford special, yeah. Yes. So I have five and mm-hmm. I'm going to do like sort of a simplistic description of the plot. Okay. Um, and see if you can guess which okay, movie. Think... So the movies are all will have um, the character in the title. And it's, there are only five. I'll start with a very easy one. A forgetful okay. New Jersey housewife who misplaces her gloves in a department store. Carol. Carol aired. 
That's Carol. Uh, next, we have a teenage girl who takes over her sister's job and grows up by banishing her boyfriend after he betrays her. I don't know, but I want to say one of them. One of them is going to be Charlotte Gray. Is it Charlotte Gray? Oh, uh, no, no. Do you want to take another guess? Okay. Um, so she starts as a teenage girl. Her sister basically has a big job. She takes over that job. Then she has a boyfriend. He betrays her. Then she banishes him at the end of the film. It's not, it's not Oscar and Lucinda, is it? No. All right. This what? is Elizabeth because oh. Mary was queen. Then Elizabeth becomes queen. That's the job. And then oh. there is, you know, the Joseph Fiennes. Like, she banishes him. <laughs> you're right. I was thinking so literally. I'm sorry. It's obvious now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this next one okay, okay. should be easy. Azana's okay. loving socialite unraveling. Of course. Charlotte Gray. No, Blue Jasmine. <laughs> <laughs> That's Blue Jasmine, yes. Um, and so I have another unraveling woman who, this is mm-hmm. like my mode with Kate that I love. This, this unraveling woman is in a feud with her very nosy neighbor. This is a later mm-hmm. Kate film, just from the last few years. Okay. I don't know. Uh, um, this, <laughs> this is where, where'd you go, Bernadette? The Richard Linklater Oh, uh, no, I, mean, I, would, I wouldn't have guessed that one. Yeah, and the nosy neighbor is played by... Kirsten Wig. So. Is it any good? Mm, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's not great. I mean, like, I know it's a novel and it feels very like this was a book club hit. Let's make a movie. The movie's bound mm-hmm. to be a hit. Like, it feels a bit like that, right? Yeah. But I think that the adaptation sort of like, I don't think Richard Linklater was the right person to do it because he didn't get, he was interested in other things, which makes the movie interesting in its own way, but sure. not in what makes the book great. Like the book yeah. was a satire about Seattle, um, I you see. know, sort of tech people and whatever. And that was not at all what he was interested oh, in. Oh, I didn't, I didn't know it was about that at all. I assumed it was like a Desperate Housewives-esque, like suburban. It, like... it kind of is, but it's set in the sort of the Seattle milieu, like, they're all, they all work in tech like at, at Google and, you know, Google-like uh, places and things like okay, that. Okay, okay. Um, <laughs> and he was more interested in sort of like the story of a woman who was so bright and successful um, at the beginning of her career and then sort of suffered this major, um, you know, where everything she sort of built was taken away from her and so she suffered <laughs> psychologically. And so he was interested in that story, which is a completely different story, interesting in its own but not yeah. what the book is about, really. So yeah, I think yeah, there yeah. was just a disconnect. Um, but we we have talked about that on, so if you want to listen to that episode, it's out there. Listen. I am intrigued. <laughs> um, and I have one last one for you, Dash. This is the cool. first one. And think, this is very simplistic, so think of one of the other clues that we talked about. So this okay. one is about a boss who matches her employee or subordinate with the man she wants to fuck. Wait, this is Elizabeth the Golden Age, isn't it? Yes, it is. <laughs> because Elizabeth does want to fuck. What is Clive Owen's character's name? I don't remember. Uh, Lord Walter, I th- no, I think it's Walter Raleigh. Walter Raleigh, yes. And then, you know, um, the other Australian actress whose name is completely escaping me right now, who was in the Jane Campion movie, Bright Star, um, does play Abby sort of her... Cor- Abby Cornish. Abby Cornish plays her lady in waiting and she's sort of like, mm-hmm. go talk to him. So yeah, so that's Elizabeth's that, golden age. That movie's unhinged. Like it's so, it's so camp and draggy. Like, yeah, it is. 
but it is sort of like, to me, it's the most fun Kate movie to watch in installments. Like you can just go watch scenes yeah. um, and just be amazed um, at the campiness and about the theatricality of the performance. That's what the life of Elizabeth the first is like. They're like it's why they like adapting it. There's so many like episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like you're right. It's just it's it's so rich. <laughs> yes. Uh, so thank you for playing um, awesome. titular roles, Dash. <laughs> <laughs> what? How did I score? Did, did I get three out of them? Right? Two? I three of them? Right? Thank you. Um, you know what? I wasn't keeping count, but I think you got three out of five, which is pretty good. Okay. Pass. <laughs> okay. Cool. Cool. Phew. Um, so before we, uh, before we go, I wanted to ask you a couple more questions about Kate. Mm. Um, yep. we've talked about a lot of her performances already, but I wanted to know just if you were to name one favorite Blanchett performance, which one would it be? It probably is the aviator and it's not just necessarily her performance. It's the setting, like, mm-hmm. you know, old Hollywood stuff. It's my obsession. Um, I love Hepburn as well. And I think that. I think not so much a Kate thing, but a Scorsese thing is that he understands he's got special interest in these things in this period, but he manages to do it in an accessible way. So like Mm -hmm. this was the first time as a kid, I'd ever seen anything to do with Catherine Hepburn in any way. Like, so like, and it definitely is a good part history. And the fact that like they, the fact that Kate gets to deconstruct the the Hepburn persona, Mm -hmm. even in the movie, you know, like that's, I think that that is what makes a really good performance. The fact yeah. that she starts off all blustered in a hurricane, doing everything you think of yeah. when you think Catherine Hepburn, and then it gradually just you know falls away. And like it's summed up in that line when she says, "You know, there's only one Kate, and it's your Kate." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's the one I would go for. Yeah. Good choice. I love it too. Mm-hmm. And so Kate has two movies out now in release: Nightmare Alley and Don't Look Up. Um, have mm-hmm. you seen either or both? I've not, but I am going to have to see both of them for award season, right? Um, yes. I'm excited to see her in Don't Look Up. <laughs> yes. Don't Look Up. She, um, it's a small dose of Kate in Don't Look Up, um, but yeah. it, it's a fun dose. It's my favorite part of the movie is her and Leo. And if you're a fan of The mm-hmm. Aviator, all her scenes are with Leo. So it's great. Um, it's a cool. great reunion for them. She's very funny in it. And she just got a surprise SAG nomination for Nightmare Alley, which hmm. congratulations, Kate Blanchett. Another award nomination. Um, yeah. she's, she's really good. She's the best thing in Nightmare Alley. Nightmare Alley is a movie that sort of the reception to it has been a little subdued and it came out at a time when people are not going to the movie. So nobody went to see it, but I sure. actually loved it and enjoyed it. And it's, it's very dark and completely different sort of um, register for Guillermo del Toro although Kate is playing something she has done before mm-hmm. although not explicitly she's explicitly a femme fatale here but yeah. it's another sort of like glamorous role a woman from the 40s we've seen her in that mode before yeah. which um, is valid criticism yeah but she is absolutely great and her sparring you know we talked about her sparring with Kieran Hines here and she spars mm-hmm. with Bradley Cooper her scenes with him are fire yeah. in that film so. and he's genuine like I quite like him a lot I think he's generally a pretty good co-star with almost anyone like he works really well with co-stars I think like yes. you know like I um but yeah like my feeling the the reading I'd gotten of um of Nightmare Alley was that it's definitely I think a lot of people are unfairly doing it's like oh it's your follow-up to your Oscar-winning movie which yeah. isn't fair even though I think it feels like Guillermo and also almost everyone involved in it is like a, this is a one for me movie. Yeah, totally. And this is yeah. completely like, I think this is 
like it's an expensive film and he did it with the studio that won the Oscar with The Shape of Water and they mm -hmm. gave him more money and he made, made this very dark film that is, I found it sometimes hard to be in it and if I wasn't at a screening, I maybe would have, if I was at home, I would have turned it off a little bit just to sort of relax because it's relentless in its darkness. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's, I think he did, he as a move, um, as a movie to do right after your biggest success, he is yeah. cashing his cards and he did it very yeah. well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, like so, he has fan, he has fans that will see whatever he goes wants to yeah. make, you know, like, like, so yeah, use the opportunity to do your, to do your talk. A vanity project is a mean phrase, but your pet project. There we go. Yeah. So I'll end with one question. Um, so okay. this is a uh, podcast about Kate Blanchett, but it's mostly a podcast about, actresses I love and I've done um, special episodes about Carrie Mulligan about Judy Dench um, so I want to ask you a non-Kate question so this mm -hmm. year which actress has impressed you the most a lot of them the, for different reasons but I would say I actually think and I'm not I'm half joking but I'm also half serious I think Gaga has really impressed me because <laughs> while House of Gucci is a deranged film totally it's because of her star power that it's been a reasonable financial success. Mm -hmm. People are actually watching it and people are talking about it and people are talking about her press for it. Yes. And like, she's made it a moment in a way that, you know, so we've seen all these articles about how West Side Story mm -hmm. was a disappointment. Nightmare Alley mm -hmm. was a disappointment. Just like this last jewel was a disappointment, disappointment after disappointment, like, like but not Gucci. Exactly. And like again, it is it is not a good film, but um, it's certainly enjoyable. And even in watching her in scenes, she's not—I won't so much say acting, but she's performing so much. Like mm -hmm. every opportunity to do a gesture, she's doing it. And I think that that genuinely is impressive. Like, like yes, everyone everyone always wants to be dismissive of her as an actress, and like of for certain, like she's not Meryl Streep, but mm -hmm. she's so committed whenever she is doing stuff. That's and she's very watchable. You can't take your eyes off her. This was my experience with Gucci. I also love Gaga so mm -hmm. much in House of Gucci. And I think it's a great performance. Not, you know, mm -hmm. in, in that she's so watchable and interesting and everything she does is bigger. Um, and there is, um, I wrote about Gaga's performance for Into. I'll link to that. And I love mm -hmm. this performance. And I think she would make also a great Oscar winner because the film is about her. And then she gave us this press tour where she is nakedly given us so many moments from like, yeah. you know, Patricia send me flies to yeah. like, you know, I drink the prop water and get drunk on it. Yeah. So many amazing moments. And she's in a bona fide box office hit in a year where there were not that many. So yeah she's a star and this is a moment that maybe she should be rewarded with the best actress oscar and, um, and you're very right like like because these these organizations like the oscars like all the BAFTA, uh, bafta like mm -hmm. more than anything else like these things are fundamentally shows and they need they need people to turn up and they need people to turn up to and make people watch it and when gaga turns up people watch stuff you know like she creates moments on red carpets at every opportunity she's doing mm -hmm. something she's good for viewers and these organizations like that and like no one wants to admit it but like that's also a key facet of it you know you yeah. have to do the red carpet you have to like do the statements you know where it's like oh, it's wonderful to be here and like as and say all the yeah. one you know you, you've got to do that and she does it and she doesn't have to she has a successful pop career like of everyone yeah. here she doesn't like need this yes um but um, she definitely should be applauded for it yeah she's absolutely amazing my theory about gaga's performance in house mm -hmm. of gucci is that 
There is a mention in the script early on about how Patricia looks like Elizabeth Taylor. And I think Gaga read that note in the script and, and went and watched all of Elizabeth Taylor's movies and yeah. decided to give an Elizabeth Taylor performance. And she does. That's, that's very, very true. Like, even when I was watching this, I was like, there's a lot of, like, just Lizisms, but, like, like, it just... Yeah, this, I feel like I'm watching Boom. Like, it gets a bit <laughs> wacky. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like, also on the list, I just want to say, I put, like, Jessica Chastain in Eyes Tammy Faye and Kirsten Stewart in Spencer, which I know are these, like, the easy choices. Um, mm-hmm. I think Stewart, particularly in Spencer, because she took a figure, Diana, who is, especially in Britain, so... She's, like, she's... When, it, when, a, when a cultural figure becomes so big, like... Marilyn Monroe or Churchill or God, even Hitler or someone like they mean everyone knows how they feel about them. Mm-hmm. Everyone feels many different ways about them. Um, and as a result, it's very difficult to like add something to it, you know, and I think or just to do anything. And and what's especially interesting is like given that the way the royals are portrayed on screen, it's often very like very prescribed. It's basically like the crown, you know, it's like we're in an austere room. We don't really emote the the acting's great apparently but but you know who knows and um, i think she found a way to make diana just like interesting and weird and compelling mm-hmm. i want to say that i agree with you about jessica chastain and i think that movie sort of came and went and people didn't watch it but if you watch that performance i think i was so surprised by how audacious and bold she is it mm-hmm. as tammy faye and it's, it's another one of those like really the Tammy Faye herself was so performative that you have to perform Tammy, similar to what Kate did as Catherine Hepburn. You have to perform Catherine Hepburn. And so Chastain had to perform Tammy Faye, but also I think she found other notes to play. Like I think her performance is full of heart and it's one of those sort of like, she just invites you in to love this character, which is not an easy thing to do with such a sort of controversial character that many people have, you know, already established ideas about. Like, I think that, it's worth pointing out, like, and I ends up researching this, but like, there's the two actors who have won the most number of awards without winning an Oscar are Isabel Huppert and Jessica Chastain. Like, oh, they've wow. won tons of awards, and they they're the highest. And it's like, so if we're going to talk about like, say, people who deserve one or should have one, mm-hmm. I'd argue uh, Huppert doesn't really like this. Or she doesn't really like have a Hollywood career. Like, yeah. like even though like she probably should have one, but like not likely um whereas Chastain like is a Hollywood actor and like she she has is so accomplished and yet they sort of keep sleeping on her and I think that she's so committed in Tammy Faye to the character and it's just the I feel J- Chastain has like this inherent warmth in her characters mm-hmm. often and she manages to convey that in like all in all the Tammy Faye bits which is just so important for that character yeah absolutely and that's an impressive uh statistics there because her career is just a little bit over a decade. Like I think her, the, yeah. the, the day of life. Is, yeah. 2011. Yeah. That's yeah, like 11 years ago. Exactly. And like, like I, I can't remember the numbers off the top of my head. I just know that they're like the, the, the top two. And I think the next person is like Willem Dafoe or someone. And it's so like oh. Willem Dafoe and Isabel Huppert have a lot more in common in terms of the length of their careers than Chastain does. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Jessica Chastain. I'm glad we, we managed to talk about the actresses <laughs> in this uh, year's um, awards race, which Kate is in, but a little bit peripheral because Nightmare Alley is not as beloved as your movie need to be to act for you to actually be a real contender. But yeah, yeah. I, I think she'll be back soon because she's working with 
Alfonso Cuaron, with Pedro Almodovar, with Todd Field. She's like racking up the directors for the next few years. Yeah. <laughs> like, and that that that's an that's an impressive like stable of directors. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, Dash, this was such a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for coming on Sundays with Kate and talking with me. I enjoyed it so much. Thanks so much for having me. And before we go, please let our listeners know where they can find you and your work. Yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Dashiell Silva, D-A-S-H-I-E-L-L-S-I-L-V-A. Yes. Uh, give Dash a follow. You will not regret it, especially if you <laughs> are listening here. You must love actresses and Dash will give you lots of actresses content on, <laughs> on Twitter. Um, ending. <laughs> and I just um, sort of a note, a programming note. I am going to Sundance. I'm not flying to Park City, but I'm going to be watching lots of Sundance movies for the next week and a half. Um, on my laptop at home in New York, but it means that Sundays with Kate will take a break for one week, so there will not be an episode next week, but we'll be back in two weeks to finish this last um, season of the podcast and finish the few movies that we haven't talked about yet. Um, and until then, thank you for listening. And you can find me on Twitter at me underscore says and follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at Sundays with Kate. <laughs>